Good afternoon and welcome to SWAT Radio with Doug McCary of His Light Ministries. It is Thursday, October 27th. Hard to believe we're almost out of October of 2022. Wow. It seems like just yesterday we were in 2020, but now we're in 2022. As many of you know, Thursdays, if you listen to SWAT Radio, by the way, if you're just tuning into SWAT Radio uh, for the first time, SWAT radio was spawned out of the SWAT Bible studies in Jacksonville, Florida. And uh, SWAT stands for Spiritual Warriors Advancing Truth. And um, our core values are the Bible being our starting point. God's Word is our starting point and our authority. And uh, prayer staying close to our commander. Uh, evangelism, engaging witnesses for impact, discipleship, making Christ's last command our first priority, and community, a band of brothers around the word. And today, I have one of our SWAT brothers who has been a great encouragement to me over the years. Uh, It's really interesting to have Jeff in the studio because I'm a former FBI agent, and Jeff is a former incarcerated brother who... uh, that's quite an interesting story. We're going to get him to go over it. He's been a guest before, but in case you're just tuning in, you never heard it. It's a fascinating story. Jeff, welcome back to SWAT Radio. Good to be here, Doug. Looking forward to working with you today. Well, uh, Jeff, you are such a uh, relational guy and very engaging that uh, if somebody came up to you and, and just started talking to you, it's, it, they would never know some of your story they wouldn't be able to assess that you know some people you can assess like you can look at some guys who are drug addicts and you can tell right uh people who are alcoholics they have a a look but when i first met you i had no idea i just thought you were a, a a sharp business guy and you know we were talking and and you were in business but unfortunately the business you were in initially wasn't a good business right no it wasn't it wasn't uh, and I so uh, I I think it'd be great if you could just share the starting point. Uh, 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 kind of give us the uh, the Cliff Notes version of Jeff Andrews. How did Jeff Andrews get from uh, being a young man out who was kind of troubled trying to find his way to being a follower of Jesus? How God? How did God get you here? You know that's a that's a good question because I get that asked that a lot, particularly in prison. Uh, the guys in there are somewhat skeptic about anybody that comes in to see them because they, they're they in the lion's den, and that, so they understand that. We're in the lion's den out here, but we don't recognize it. Mm-hmm. We really don't see it. But Yeah, you uh, don't have to convince people who are behind bars they're bad, do no. you? But, but no. But the people out here, uh, people out in the world outside of incarceration walk around feeling like we're not that bad, don't we? No, and I thought I, thought I, was, I was fine when I was in my... Uh, early 20s, uh, just got married, We're living in San Francisco, worked for a department store, was uh, moving on up, doing really, really well, um, and uh, got uh, the opportunity to uh, move up the ladder with a big company called the Emporium Capital Corporation, and they were grooming me to be the president. 
and I was feeling pretty special. So at that point in time, my ego began to grow. That's how old were you? How old were you? About 21, 22. Which is pretty young to be being groomed for something like yeah, that. Yeah. Well, apparently I had some marketing capabilities. Yeah. I had some creative capabilities. And uh, they recognized that. So that helped a lot. But the, uh, the interesting thing was is that as I moved up the ladder, uh, also the general marketplace began to be aware of what, uh, what I was doing. And so I got recruited by Ed Finkelstein over at Macy's. And he wanted to Macy's kick a, the department store. Macy's department store. So I don't think you know about this story, this part of the story. But that was when I was very, very young. So uh, I came out uh, thinking everything was just going to be a happy, normal life, and uh, and I was pretty excited. And so, uh, like I say, I got recruited over to Macy's to open the cellar, which was an idea that he came up with, and uh, it was a huge success. So in less than a year, I got promoted to the fine perfume and cosmetics buyer, which is probably the best job I ever had in my life. I mean, uh, at that time, I was pretty excited, and yeah. I had a really fat head. I mean, I was thinking, this is, this is great. And I was going out to New York City and flying around the private jets with the Refsons and the Lauders, and I thought, man, this is absolutely you fantastic. You were rubbing shoulders with some pretty big people. Some real you? big people. Yeah, Erwin Alphen was Chanel. I used to go to lunch with him, some of the fancy restaurants in New York City, some of their big parties. When they introduced Charlie, they had a huge party for a week. And you're still in your early 20s. Now, early 20s, early 20s, and uh, very susceptible, too. I was very naive Yeah. because I thought, you know, life is good. I didn't know anything but bad was going on. And uh, pretty soon I, I opened a bar with another guy, and uh, pretty soon I liked to have a drink after work, and then it got to two drinks after work, and Pretty soon, I started making some really, really bad choices. Mm. And uh, within a very short period of time, I started another company and uh, with another guy who I didn't know that well. I knew from the retail trade. Mm. But uh, we started doing some shady deals. And uh, I got in trouble, uh, got overextended, and uh, wound up going to jail. And uh, I was pretty crushed. You know, I was really disappointed. I was disappointed. Because you were doing good things yeah. out in the world. Yeah. And then for... you find yourself in jail. Yeah. So, now, was it a local jail or a state jail or a federal jail at this point? First time I got busted, I was in San Francisco County Jail, Marin County Jail, San Jose County Jail, San Mateo County Jail, Alameda County Jail. So you were got, in all of those? All of those. All of those. So they wow. moved me all around. So I and got this to... was not for drugs or alcohol? No, this was just fraud, basically fraud, bad wow. checks and fraud. Wow. And I thought, gee, this is terrible. Mm-hmm. I mean, I thought I was just a regular business guy, and I had no idea that this mm-hmm. was going to happen to me. So anyway, uh, uh, I got out, uh, ended up going to San Quentin on that as well, because mm-hmm. when I was in Marin County, they, the, uh, the inmates burned the place down, so they moved us over to... Uh, San Quentin. So I was over there for a little while to hang out with some of the guys. So you were in San Quentin. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Was it, was it like its reputation, a pretty tough place to be? Well, I was about 6,000 guys there and, uh, they tried to keep us away from the population, but at the same time, the population is everywhere. The inmates run the institutions. They run the prisons. They run the jails as long as they don't get out of hand. Main thing is security. So they try to work with them. I think that's the name of the game. So I learned that rule. So pretty that quickly. really is the way it is, right? It is. They, absolutely. They, they just try to keep them appeased and let them do what they do within reason as long as it's not doing too much. So within a couple of years, I learned a lot. I learned a lot, met a whole lot of new people in all different lines of work that I had never heard of before. And uh, got to meet a couple of Hells Angels. And, uh, you know, there was uh, actually, if I hadn't met them, I probably would have wouldn't be here today but uh fortunately i was part of that group but they wanted me to join up with them but i didn't really want to be a hell's angel i didn't want to be part of la familia i want to be part of the black panthers so 
you can guess what choice I made. Yeah. And uh, they like to work out. I like to work out. So they worked out with weights quite a bit. So I got along pretty good with that. But uh, it was quite an experience and it changed my view. But I didn't understand what was going on in my life because now I understand the angelic conflict, what really started with the angels, the, the spiritual, created, all the spiritual all the stuff, spiritual going, in stuff the going on. Yeah, because I beca- now I'm, I'm in play. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize what was going on. So, so so it's almost like this movie, The Matrix, where there's a whole world going on, but people don't even know about the world going on because all they see is the facade of the world they're in. Yes. And that's what you were caught up in. Focused on things, stuff, cars, houses, portfolios. Do all we have a problem with that, that today, Joe? Oh. <laughs> I don't want anything to do with that stuff. Absolutely not. I just want more Jesus. Yeah, I, I want more Jesus. Look at he's here right now. Look <laughs> yeah, at that. isn't that great? <laughs> he's fantastic. Okay, so so here you are going to you're in San Quentin, and um, and then what what happened when you get out of San Quentin? What well, happened? my dad my dad did help me a little bit and got me on work release working in a Kaiser Hospital in San Jose. So they moved me down to uh, down near San Jose to a camp. And uh, so I got work release. Uh, I was able to go out and work in the midnight shift in the uh, as a janitor in the operating room at midnight, and uh, and that that was fine. It was great. I got got to work out work every day and go back to check into the the, uh, the jail. Yeah, but not not exactly the same as going not on the jet same as what I was Chanel doing guy. before. No, and and, and then part was of that my, humbling for you? Very very humbling, very humbling. But at the same time, I wanted to bust out some kind of bad. Mm-hmm. So uh, essentially, what happened was is I. Uh, they, I finally got on uh, outside. I was on parole or probation. I had five years. And they told me I couldn't quit that job. I wanted to go back and do what I was doing before because I had some ins and some places I could get a, get some work. But they told me I couldn't quit that job. That was part of my punishment, wow. my, my corrections. So the, the law enforcement, or the parole committee said you had to keep working that janitorial and, job. Which was, I suppose, good for some people, but it wasn't for me. I lasted two weeks on that and took off. You just bolted. I just bolted. And, uh, and so that meant you violated your parole, right? Totally violated my parole, and I was on the run for 10 years, which I think you know. So during that period of time, I was extremely busy starting businesses and companies and going to work for a lot of technology companies. So I was the new guy in school every other month or so because I was constantly moving, constantly traveling, but I was always getting jobs. I wasn't a, really want to be a, a homeless person. I'm not that kind of person. I need to have a few bucks, and I want a, a nice place to but, live. But you, but you, but you weren't uh, – sorry – Sorry, that was uh, I. I uh, no problem. I, that was me. That was me, everybody. So you know we're live when you get something like that goes on because it's not edited out anyway. Uh, so you were were you you weren't breaking the law in these companies you were no, at, were you? No, other than the fact that I was using a fictitious name and a fictitious social security number, then I was breaking the yeah, law. Yeah, yeah, you were breaking the law that yeah, way. But what yeah. I'm saying, these were not criminal enterprises. No, no, these so were all you, legitimate companies. You were just on the run. Well. Um, we got to go to our first break, but when we come back, I'd like you to take us through how God got your attention. So he's humbled you now, but then how did he draw you to himself to take that next step? All right. So when we come back from our break, Hey, you're listening to uh, Jeff Andrews. Jeff has a ministry called highway to eternity ministries. And if you go to highway to eternity.com, you can uh, read more about that. Uh, he's got a book called Desperate Highway, and uh, you he'd be happy to get you a copy of that. Or you can email uh, uh, Doug at SWATradio.com, say, I'd love a copy of Jeff's book. We'll be happy to send you a copy of that book. It's not like any other Christian book written. It's actually targeted for those that are disinterested 
in anything to do with Jesus, the Bible, study church, uh, just like Jeff used to be. So we're going to be have more of Jeff Andrews. Hey, if you know somebody that might be encouraged by listening to this, why don't you call them and say, hey, tune in to SWAT Radio. Go to SWATradio.com. We'll be right back after this break. If you'd like to contact SWAT Radio, the toll-free number is 1-844-777-7928. That's 844-777-7928 or 844-777-SWAT. You can also listen to this program through the WTRJ The Truth app from the App Store or over the Internet by accessing www.swatradio.com. We'll be back shortly for further discussion and to take your calls. We're so grateful for having people like Tom Neal Truck Company sponsoring SWAT Radio. Tom Neal Truck Company is located at 417 Edgewood Avenue South in Jacksonville, Florida. Tom Neal is a full-service franchise truck dealer for Freightliner, Western Star, Volvo, Isuzu, and Sprinter vans offering new and used truck sales, service, parts and truck rental and leasing to the North Florida and South Georgia truck market. More information on Tom Neal Truck Company is located at www.tomneal.com. That's www.tomnehl.com. Hey, welcome back to SWAT Radio. It's Doug McCary of His Light Ministries, and uh, I'm so thankful to have uh, Jeff Andrews in the studio today. Jeff is uh, a brother. He, you know, you've heard his uh, advertisements on our program. Jeff is actually his ministry is a sponsor of SWAT Radio, and so grateful to have him in our life. He has been part of the uh, St. Augustine SWAT group for a long time and uh, been a great encouragement to me. Uh, we both uh, have this in common. We we got to spend a little time with Chuck Colson. And uh, I, I do want to tell you that if you've never read Chuck Colson's book, Born Again, you need to read it. It is his story. Uh, Desperate Highway is Jeff Andrews' story. And I will tell you, if you know anybody who has struggled with uh, any kind of uh, sense of failure because of bad choices or bad decisions or um, disinterest in spiritual things because they feel like God has abandoned them or they never even really cared, they just feel like life stinks, (laughs) Um, both of those books would be good. Uh, Born Again by Chuck Colson and Desperate Highway by uh, Jeff Andrews. And Jeff's our guest today. And Jeff, you were sharing how uh, God took you through this journey of being in multiple jails, told you you had to be a janitor. I, you know, when I heard that, you know what it reminded me of? There's a guy named uh, Greg Laurie. He is a very well-known Christian speaker out of California, does a lot of crusades. He went to... Uh, to the founder of the Vineyard Churches, Chuck Smith. 
And he said, I want you to teach me about Jesus, and I want to learn to be like you. Chuck handed him a broom and said, go clean up the basement. So he went and did it. And the next day, you know, he said, okay. And he said, come see me tomorrow. The next day, he got him to do the same thing. He did it like two or three days. He said, I, I, I want to learn how to teach the Bible. I want to go. He said, the first thing you got to learn is humility. And God gave you a dose of that when you came out from being on jets with jet setting lifestyle as a young 20 year old guy feeling I'm sure over the moon about all this stuff to go into jail that humbled you. But then you get out and it's like, okay, now you've got to work as a janitor, which was a very different job description than you had. And you said you, you couldn't handle it. Two weeks later, you're out of there. You go, I got to do something different and you're doing all these things, but you're using a fictitious name you have not surrendered yourself yet to God at this point. In fact, is God even on your radar at this point? No. So how did he get there? Uh, being on the run is, is uh, testing, very, very testing. And, of course, the purpose of our life, I understand, now is a giant test. We're being tested in this angelic conflict between good and evil for us to make the right choices. But we can't unless we have the spirit of Christ in us. Uh-huh. We just can't do it. So anyway, I was doing a fast drive. And you didn't have him in you at this no, point. No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Now, were you were your parents believers? No. So so you grew up in a home that didn't teach you about God. Mary Baker so, Eddy. Yeah. Christian so, Science. Yeah, yeah. So, well, as a cult, right? Yes. So, so say just a word to those parents out there who have children and these parents believe, but they're a little hesitant to really kind of lead their kids in this way. They're just, you know, they don't take an effort. Say something to those parents of how important that would have been in your life at a young age. Young people are so impressionable. Um, I don't think parents really appreciate what the the keys are to their life at that point in time. And my dad was rarely home. He worked. He was an alcoholic. Um, he was successful, but he was an alcoholic. He's a functional alcoholic. And my mother was, uh, once again, totally wrapped around uh, him. And uh, uh, the kids just uh, sort of, you know, we're on their own. We went to school and so forth, but there was very little guidance. Uh, we weren't, I mean, we weren't a poor family. We we're middle class somewhere. So I mean, we did okay, but I mean, it, there just wasn't any real guidance in a, from the family. And that's important, extremely important. And Mary, make, Mary Baker Eddy did not give you a lot of value. No. The only thing <laughs> I remember world. about that is we're sick. We didn't go to the doctor. Yeah. <laughs> so you're out in the world and you, you're on the run. And how did God intersect your life? What happened? Well, after multiple incidents, I mean, I was arrested a number of times, 24 different arrests and incarcerations. A lot of them, they just let me go after six months of taking me to court every day and trying to prove something that they couldn't prove. So from that standpoint, I imagine to evade capture to, to a great extent. But I was on my way to Seattle through a blizzard and uh, stole a Mercedes, had a lot of cocaine with me, was drinking heavy. Um, so uh, now you're into drugs and, oh, yeah. and, and alcohol oh, yeah. and car theft. Oh yeah, the works. The Grand works. Theft Auto. Yeah. There you yeah. go. I didn't. I didn't see it that way, but you right. was just borrowing it. Right? I was borrowing it. Yeah. yeah. But uh, in any case, I was heading up to Seattle, and uh, I felt a presence in my car that was. Uh, it really was pretty evil, but at the same time, I was thinking that he was on my side, and of course, it was a presence, an evil presence, and uh, and I started talking to it, and uh, I was not stoned. I wasn't drunk. I mean, this is probably three o'clock in the morning. I pretty much sobered up at that point. But, uh, I mean, basically, uh, 
As soon as I could smell sulfur in the car, I rolled the windows down. It was so strong that I thought I was going to pass out. Now, you know where sulfur comes from, straight yeah. from hell. Yeah. So you know who it was. He was there. Yeah. And the first thing I thought it was kill it, taking my life. Mm. So I was doing about 60 miles an hour, going through a windy mountain road, and uh, I was thinking about driving off at 90 miles an hour. I put the pedal to the metal, and I was going to go off. And I thought, wait a minute. What am I doing? I, I got a hold of myself, parked the car, looked in the back seat, and there was nothing there, but I, I knew there was some evil presence in that car that was going to... It was so strong you could feel You know, when I'd gotten off the plane in Russia, sometimes doing ministry, I felt that over there. It was mm. such a satanic presence. Oh, it was yeah. almost like... It's almost like you're walking from day into night. It just is that strong. Oh, yeah. And uh, at that point in time, I, I made a decision that I needed to start looking for God. So I was thinking because this guy's not on my side. I thought he was. I thought we were buds. I think we we're partners. I, I wouldn't necessarily, I thought I was working for him, but I thought we were in unison. And uh, at that point in time, I, I was very disappointed in it, if you can imagine that. And so that changed my composure. Wait, you were disappointed in God because... No, in, uh, in Satan. Oh, in Satan. <laughs> oh, oh, so you thought Satan was your partner. Yeah. You, you know, that's an interesting point because I shared this week in SWAT as I was teaching, Jeff, that people that you probably know in that life that you led, everybody has this idea that, you know, that doesn't love God that, yeah, we're just going to go to hell and party. Hell's going to be a big party oh, for yeah. bad people. Yep. Great. Drug, sex, and rock and roll, right? right? Let's start now. Yeah. But the problem with that is that every good and perfect gift comes from one place. It's God. Sex is a gift from God, right? Mm-hmm. Music is a gift from God. Absolutely. So if these things are a gift from God, then hell is apart from God. There's not going to be any of that in hell. There's not going to be anything good in hell. This is what people fail to realize. They think that it's going to be like that, but every good and perfect gift comes from God. What we see in the world, all this aberration of that is the perversion of that is people who think they can take a good gift from God and use it any way they want. A friend of mine said it this way. He said, you know, that's like a a chainsaw is a great thing to cut down trees. It's not a good toothpick, right? Mm. So you can't use it any way you want, but that's what we do. So anyway, sorry for that little uh, diatribe there. No problem. So so here you are, you're you're on this road thinking about taking your life, and you go, you you realize there's something evil there. So what happened? So basically, uh, I, I began to change my thought process about wanting to find if God was, if you're there, please, Speak to me. So I started. Seeking. So wait a minute. You wanted to find her. He began to change her. No, I, I started feeling I needed to know God. Yes. The, the, he's got to be out. The, the opposite of Satan is God, period. Yeah. I mean, just all light. And also, I liked the darkness back then. I thought that was great. But then I recognized that evil was not what I needed. I needed something different. And so I really he began to draw change. you. Because he was you, starting to draw yeah, you. Yeah, when you get into 10 years on the run, you get a little tired of it. Extremely tired of it, and you recognize there's something wrong with this. Were you were you nervous? Like every time a police officer went by, did, were you always thinking they might be coming for you? Well, I never got stopped at a speeding ticket, if that's what you mean. Yeah, no. that's what <laughs> but I'm. Uh, well, what I'm wondering though is like when you would see the police, or did you just become so uh, uh, anesthetized to it that you probably did? did? Probably did. I think I was pretty iced up to it. I mean, I just ignored everything. I mean, I was focused on what I needed to do to survive. Mm-hmm. Period. 
But anyway, I got to Virginia Beach somehow. Uh, that was a, a series of iterations and uh, worked for a company there. Once again, just got a job, started working. And while I was there, I met a guy by the name of Ken Banks who uh, worked for Exxon Office Systems up in Richmond. And uh, he wanted to start a company similar to what the product we were selling at that time was NBI, Office Automation Systems. And uh, so I, I, had, I talked to the guys I was working for who I didn't necessarily uh, respect. These were Beltway Bandits, if you know what I mean. These guys were just sleazy. But once again, I needed a job. And so I had sold a lot of, lot of stuff for them, so I made a lot of money. That was 19, I'm trying to think what year that was, 1980. I made 200 grand that year. That's a lot of money back then. That's a lot of money today. I made 200 grand that year, and I think I was one of the highest paid guys in the state. And I sold Newport News Shipbuilding, NASA Langley, uh, Langley Air Force Base, uh, a bunch of different accounts. Uh, and I just, was, I just loved selling And you're stuff. still on the run, right? I'm still on the run. So anyway, I met Ken uh, at a trade show up in Richmond. I th- and, and I was standing at a booth with this NBI sign behind me, and this guy in a suit comes up and said, I'd like to meet Jeff Andrews. And the guy looked just like an FBI agent, so I went and hid. And he left his card there. So uh, I came back later, and I went over and talked to him. And he decided I'm interested in opening a business in Richmond. So I said, yeah, absolutely. I said, uh, I'll see what I can do for you. So I talked to my guys. They said, sure. And they set him up as a, as a like a franchise almost uh, directly with them, which was not the right thing to do. It was wrong. So in a very short period of time, I told him, basically, just call this guy and get your own deal. You don't need to work through these guys. Because I, I was not impressed with their with what they were doing. It was just trying to hurt somebody, strangle somebody. Yeah. So anyway, he did that, started working, and uh, he said, uh, you know, why don't you come to work for me? And I said, I got to go, because he didn't know I was a fugitive. <laughs> yeah. But he's a great guy. Uh, he's still with the company today, as am, as am I, uh, and uh, he sold the company, you know, what, four years ago. So basically, I'm just working as a sales rep now. But uh, it was an awesome experience, and even today, we, I, we, we just talked on the phone this morning. We catch up all the time. I mean, we... And he we, was a believer. He's a believer. He right. wasn't not probably as strong as he is now because I was just in Bible study with him this morning for 33 but, years. But before him, he was a born and raised a Christian. Yeah, but before him, was there anybody who was speaking no. to you about Jesus? No. So, and that was your buddy, Mr. Banks, right? Yes. All right, when we come back, I want to talk about how he introduced you to Jesus, okay? Hey, you're listening to SWAT Radio. I'm interviewing Jeff Andrews of Highway to Eternity Ministries. If you would like to get Jeff's book, Desperate Highway, feel free to email me at Doug at SWATradio.com. We're going to go to a news break, and we'll be right back with more of SWAT Radio after the news. SWAT Radio, it's Doug McCary with my buddy Jeff Andrews from Highway to Eternity Ministries. His website is highwaytoeternity.com. You can go there and uh, you can either go there there and get a a copy of his book, Desperate Highway, or you can email me at Doug at SWATradio.com. I'm happy to send you one if you'll just email me your address. Um, Nice picture of Jeff with Chuck Colson on there. And uh, 
Jeff was sharing with us. Um, Jeff is a businessman, and he was sharing about his business he's still involved with today in the technology business. And used to be called Shortel, then Mytel. Uh, and he is uh, out there tent making, but he's a, a kingdom priest, part of the uh, St. Augustine uh, SWAT group. And uh, he, uh, he has a great, fascinating testimony. You know, it's interesting, Jeff, you got this on your website, that um, there are uh, 20 million plus people in county jails on probation or some form of supervised release or ex-cons, you said. Two million in prison right now, over two million. That's a lot of people that are in jail. And you do a lot of jail ministry yes. now. You're there. And as somebody, you, you said something earlier that, uh, you know, a lot of the guys in there, they know that they're in need, at least when they're in there. Now, not every jailhouse conversion is a true conversion, is it? There's some guys that want to use Jesus in there just sure. like people on the outside. But one thing you don't have to convince people on the inside of jail of is that they, they're they messed up. It's the people on the outside a lot of times of the jails, people in office buildings that think they're pretty okay, that, that, that they're pretty squared away. And, you know, even though you were on the run, uh, Mr. Banks came into your life. God brought him divinely into your life. And he was the one that introduced you to Jesus. And I, I'm just curious to how he did that. Did did he just sit down one day with you and say, hey, let me go through this little booklet with you? Or did he just talk to you about your life? Uh, it, oh, I know what it was. You were telling me in the break. You yeah, said he, he just came by and said, hey, some FBI agents came by and were saying some crazy stuff about you. That's when I talked to him on the phone. Basically, I called him and he was telling me that the FBI came by and said this awful stuff about me. And I said, it's much worse than that. I said, uh, they don't know half of it. But uh, he said, well, why don't you come to work and turn yourself in? Why don't you turn yourself in and clean up your life? So he he hadn't even talked to you about Jesus at this point? No. Wow. And no. he was a believer, right? Well, he was raised in a Christian family. He yeah. came from a very strong Christian family, a big family from North Carolina. But at the time, he was a, he would have said he was a Christian, but it's nowhere close to where he is now. Mm-hmm. I mean, now he's a, he's a, he's a believer, an, an anointed believer. Yeah. So. It was, so, so before, he probably was a, a uh, what I, I call a Christian inoculated guy or some yeah. guy who's been around Christians a lot. His family was Christian. Yes. But he, it never made the 18-inch transfer from his head down to his heart, right? He would he'd agree with you. Uh, and so, so anyway, even though he wasn't there yet, he still was a positive influence on Very you. Definitely. Very and definitely. And said, hey, you need to turn yourself in. What did you think when he said that? Well, you know, at, at that time, I, was, I, was, uh, I wasn't looking for that. But when I started processing and thinking about it, being on the run as long as I had been, going on 10 years at that point, uh, I needed to do something different. I didn't like what I was doing. I did not like what I was doing. I, I knew I needed to change something. And going to the guillotine was the was obvious one choice. And I was well, I was hoping to go there and get it straightened out, or face the face the guillotine. I mean, I really really didn't care. Yeah, 
But you were, you were just kind of tired of the run. I was tired of the run. And so you went there and turned. Did you turn, turn myself in in '83? Yes, in May '83. And uh, and and they said, "Hey, you're forgiven. Don't worry about it." Right? <laughs> that's not what happened. No, no. It took it took two and a half years. Two and a half years of uh, lots of effort. He's you know bonded me out of jail every time. I every time because whatever. As soon as you turn yourself in, the warrants start pouring in, and they every every so often they arrest you and take you over to jail, and you have to bond me out, and you have to fight that case wherever it was. Colorado, so there, there were a bunch of different cases all over the, in different all over the states. countries. Yeah, so he stood with me all through that. He st- stayed right with me. It sounds like he's the kind of battle brother you want on your side. Yes, yes, absolutely. But uh, anyway, so we went through a lot together, and through that process, through that period of time. He and I both became much closer. But then again, I got indicted again at the end of that in 86, early 86, end of 85, early 6. And uh, and that was, I lied in a financial statement, said my name was Jeff Andrews. Mm. And uh, the feds used that to convict me again. I thought I was going to get probation, but I got three twos. Three twos run consecutive for lying on a financial statement saying my name was Jeff Andrews. So two-year, two-year, two-year? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and then somehow it got converted Wait, to... Wait, so your name isn't Jeff Andrews? No, that was, a, that was a name I picked out of the phone book in uh, Virginia Beach. Really? Yeah, I used to change my name. So constantly. what is your real name? Hundreds of times. So what is your real name? Jack William MacDonald. Really? Yes, it is. Wow. Do you know, <laughs> I just learned that for the first time, and I've known you for a while. I didn't know that. That was my so, that's my real name. So so if somebody calls you Jack, do you respond? I mean, do you I ever, actually look? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> I was wondering about that. Well, I because I've only known you as Jeff. So anyway, you lied on these statements. They they sentence you. At this point, have you has has have you bowed your heart to Jesus yet? No. All right. No. So, no. So had some interest. I went to a few uh, Needles Eye Buddy Children's Needles yeah. Eye luncheons. Went to a few luncheons. Heard some really great testimonies, but still. Not there. Not there. I mean, I had going on here, but not here. So you're in jail now. I'm in prison. I'm in Danbury, self-committed, turned myself in after I was uh, convicted, turned myself in, and I ended up uh, doing two and a half years. Somehow it wound up being four years and five years probation, so they pulled it together. Did two and a half years and got a bunch of good time because I wrote a new business plan for IPC Technologies while I was in there. Wow. So I was busy all the time putting together a new business plan for IPC, and the objective was to get out, go back to work for IPC, and uh, launch it. And uh, were, were you ever in fear for your life when you were in jail at all? Were, were there ever times uh, at this point, not the earlier no, times? No, 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 time? no, no, no. Because no. I'd been in twenty-five different uh, uh, institutions. So of you kind of knew how yeah. to get around, yeah. right? I feel more comfortable in jail after the first couple of years than being on the street. Okay, so what would happen to a guy like me if I got convicted of something and put in there? Would it be tough for me? Very, very, very tough. Yeah, if they found out I was an FBI... They would they, find out they, immediately. They, 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 oh, yeah. They'd want to kill me, wouldn't they? Yes, they would. Yeah. People don't understand that. You know, they really don't understand that for people who don't do bad things or, or, or get caught breaking the law, that to go into jail, is it's a different world. You can't go in there and assert your rights, can you? Oh, you can't. You can't. Even like uh, Hell's Angels, when they go in there, they're a biker club. In there, that changes. It's all race-related. So the gangs are race, based on races. So it's yeah. Spanish, blacks. Yeah, you got all, it's all segregated in there. Is. They don't care about wokeness in jail. No, no, <laughs> no, no. It's real simple. Yeah. It's not complicated yeah. for for. You know, if you weren't in the FBI, you'd be, you'd be fine. But with that, that that's, that's that, got a that, bullseye that, on your that, back. That'd be a big bullseye. Yeah. So, all right, so going on, so how did God intersect your life in jail this time? So I was uh, basically uh, 
uh, after about a year and a half, I was working out every day and I was, I was doing fine. I mean, it, it, federal prison is really easy. Yeah. Uh, it's not hard at all. So essentially, um, I was up working out one day and these five guys out of 2000 were going to Bible study. And this one guy <laughs> was the president of Pagans, Philadelphia, threw a chair across the room and hit one of them and almost cut his ear off. Blood was squirting everywhere. And I didn't like it. And I didn't like the guy. I already knew who the guy was. And the, and the pagans are a biker gang also. Yeah. Yes, sir. And so they, uh, there's only about 12 of them in there. But basically this guy was about six foot seven. He was probably 22, tats head to toe, and he thought he was bad. But anyway, so I got a sanction. Basically, I got thumbs up, not only from the inmates, but from the guards. So think about that. Nobody liked this guy. So the next day. Yeah, and tell, tell people what a sanction is. A sanction is I got to take care of them. I that, gotta, that basically, you have a commission to go take care of a problem child, yes, right? Yes, that's right. That's right. And I, I wanted this one because I didn't like this guy. Yeah. But uh, in any case, so the next day I, I told these guys, these five guys, who actually had been asking me to come to Bible study, they saw something. I don't know what it was. And I said, what, do I look like I need Bible study? Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, the next day I went with these guys and – he, this guy wasn't sitting in his, in his seat in the, in, the, in the television room. And so what happened was is the guards got scared that I would tell if I got busted, which I, I wouldn't have. They would just weld me in a cell underground in Marion. Yeah. <laughs> Marion, Ohio. But at a Supermax. But uh, they, they shipped him to Lewis, Lewisburg that night. So he wasn't there. So anyway, I had to go in this Bible study, and they gave me this little tiny Gideon's Bible. Now I'm sitting there. They lock, They close the doors, and I'm sitting there going, Oh, man, I, I was really uncomfortable. I didn't want this little book, so I put it in my shirt pocket. Just put it in my shirt pocket. And uh, they asked me to read a couple of times. I said, I can't read. Of course, I went to three different universities. I could read just fine, but I didn't want to read it. I sensed there was something that I didn't want to do. So I don't like being told what to do. I have a problem with authority. You know that. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway. I think a lot of people do, me included. So Yeah. So anyway, so... Uh, I took it back to my bunk that night. It's midnight. This is December 17th, 1987. I pop it open to 1 Corinthians 13, and I begin reading. And I was just absolutely blown away. I mean, 1 Corinthians 13 is the love chapter. Faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. I mean, I am, I'm feeling like I weigh one pound. Jesus says, pick up your cross and follow me. Mm-hmm. You'll never be able to go back to who you were, and all your dreams will come true. Three things. And I'm, I'm, tears are coming down my face. I mean, I'm, I'm just sobbing with joy, really. I, was, I felt so good because all the sin was gone. And I knew it was true, and I knew everything in that Bible was true. And I didn't know anything about a Bible, but suddenly I knew what it was. And my life changed that night, and I couldn't sleep that entire Wait a minute. Night. So you weren't seeking God? No. You're like Paul. You, yeah. you, 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 you were anti-God, and God says, you're mine. You are mine. That that is such a great that's forty a, years old. It's a stretch. It's such a great encouragement, and um, and and so nobody led you in this. It was just God and you, totally. Other than the fact that you had, you did have a Bible, right? That's you got to have that. Yeah, you had a Bible, and God used His Word. Well, uh, when we come back, I want to share how after you got out of prison and you started walking with Him. There were um, there there were other things that God brought into your life to deepen your faith. One of them being cancer, and uh, we'll talk about that when we come back from the great from the break. Listen, uh, I'm talking with Jeff Andrews of Highway to Eternity Ministries. 
You can go to his website, www.highway2eternity.com. You can uh, get his book, Desperate Highway, which is his story. It's a great testimonial book from Jeff about how God got a hold of his life. And he goes into a lot more detail than he is on this radio program. But good stuff. Uh, probably not to read to your kids, though. I mean, it, but he's pretty transparent in there. Anyway, we'll be right back with the last segment for uh, Jeff to share about how God continued to grow his faith after drawing him to himself in prison. You're listening to SWAT Radio. We'll be right back after this break. This program has the potential to reach millions of men each week. If you'd like to learn how you can support this unique program that is helping men understand the truth about Jesus through God's Word and how to impact their lives and the lives of others, then go to www.swatradio.com. Then click on the donate link to help SWAT Radio pass on the truth for the next generation. SWAT Radio is brought to you in part by Ace Door and Window Service, Inc. Ace Door and Window Service, Inc. is a full-service sales door and window installation company. Both of the owners are licensed contractors and are involved in the daily operations of the company. All of their trucks are company-owned and fully equipped. Their mission is to provide Jacksonville and the surrounding area with door and window replacement services. To learn more, call 904-701-3667. That's 904-701-DOOR. Or online at www.astore.com. Look down from a broken sky Traced out by the city lights My world from a mile high Best seat in the house tonight Touchdown in the cold black top Hold on for the sudden stop Breathing the familiar shock of confusion and chaos. All those people. Hey, welcome back to uh, SWAT Radio. That was Brandon Heath with Give Me Your Eyes. Um, you know, Jeff, you uh, you talked about God getting your attention there as you uh, reading this Bible, and you knew from reading First Corinthians thirteen, the love chapter. Um. That, that you were God's, that he wanted you, you were his, your name was written in the book of life. He, he communicated to you through his word, and he brought people around you. I know he brought people around you to help reinforce that um, just from conversations we've had. Um, fast forward to um, finding out you had cancer. I mean, you got out, and I know you were growing. You you were connected with people that helped you grow in your faith. Well, no, let, let me back up just a little bit, even before the cancer. You, you, on your website, you talk about how, you know, um, when you get out of jail, you know, even though you experienced things in jail, you, you knew that you needed stuff. There were things that when you got out of jail, you still recognized your need because you tend to fall back into a pattern of self-ledness, self-dependence, self-reliance. And God just continues to strip that away from us, doesn't he? Yes, he does. And he did for you, right? I mean, like, and talk a little bit about how 
when you found God, how he was helping you reconcile your past with where he was taking you in the future. I think the other thing that I wanted to mention, too, is that uh, while I was in Danbury, uh, the very last part of it, I met someone online. There was an ad in the Boston Magazine, and my wife, who I'm married to today for 33 years, Hmm. she's a huge part of, uh, I mean, there's Ken Banks and my wife and Christ. I mean, Christ is number one. My wife is number two. Ken Banks is definitely number three. Mm -hmm. But uh, my wife has been a huge support for me, Mm -hmm. uh, (laughs) considering who I was and where I've been. When you think about that, and she had no idea hmm. what any of that was when I met her, hmm. and I didn't know I was going to get married again, but we've been married for 33 years, and God put us together without question. Hmm. There's no question about that. But in any case, the, 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 the thing that's, that's really uh, just fascinating to me is how God continues to draw him to you, yourself. Mm-hmm. And even we mess up, there's what we call rebounding, mm-hmm. constant rebounding. You've got to keep, he'll keep pulling you in. You've got to confess your sins. And you've got to ask for forgiveness and you've got to move on because that's the only way you can keep a clear channel between you and him. You also have to, I have to read the Bible every day. As much as I love the Bible, there's days I forget and I need to go back and start reading again because I start drawing back to myself and myself is a sinner. Mm-hmm. So it's extremely important. And uh, in any case, about 2007, 2008, um, I, I was diagnosed with leomyosarcoma which was a, uh, a very rare, very rare, 3,600 cases a year, I think, in the U.S., and everybody that I could find ever got it. In fact, there was somebody in my church in Ashland, Virginia, that, uh, whose wife died from it. So it's, 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 it's terminal. A, it's a terminal It's disease. terminal. It's in the muscle tissue, and uh, basically they cut a huge chunk of my leg out, but then they found it was in my intestines and stomach. So I'm thinking, I'm dying. So I was laying in bed for two weeks. And the guy told me how to leave. He, he also had heart disease too. Had right? serious heart disease, like eighty-five percent blockage. Yeah, huge blockage, pains in my chest. I weighed two hundred and seventy-five pounds at that point, so I was way overweight. Working eighteen hours a day, traveling all over the country, flying in planes everywhere, and I just wasn't taking care of myself. And I'd get home on a Saturday, I just want to drink a beer and mow grass, and mm-hmm. then I'd jump on a plane Sunday and be gone again until the next. And sometimes my wife would meet me on the West Coast, and we'd go to Tahiti or something. Went there for her 50th birthday. Yeah. But uh, the most important thing is is that I wasn't taking care of myself. I really wasn't paying attention to the gift I'd been given. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and all of a sudden, I got this cancer, and, uh, and, and I thought I was going to die. So mm-hmm. I was laying in bed thinking about, Lord, you know, what's going on? I'm reading the, the Bible, and, uh, and I had to lay in bed because I had to keep my leg elevated up above my heart or I'd hemorrhage because they cut a huge chunk out of my leg and put a skin graft in there. And uh, the most important thing was is that uh, he he said to me, he said, write the book, time is short. And I'm thinking, write the book, I'm going to die, and he wants me to write a book? So we had an argument. Mm -hmm. I said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait, wait, whoa, whoa. I know what kind of book he wanted. He wanted my confession. He wanted Mm -hmm. my confession. In other words, a full confession about who you are because now you're a poser. You know, you're this guy that's real successful. You're in a, in a company and you got a job and a nice house and so forth and so on. Mm-hmm. But here you are. Look what's happening. Look what's happening. So God uses everything for his purpose. What he was doing is drawing me back to himself. So he's, uh, so, and he said it again a couple of times, write the book, time is short. And I, that's all I remember. Mm-hmm. And I knew what he wanted. So I started, uh, before that, I was thinking, how am I going to tell my wife I'm going to die? Uh, because that's what I thought was going to happen. And all of a sudden, he let me know that if I wrote the book, I'd be healed from everything. Because I was a mess, physically. And, 
anyway, I started writing the book. Ken started helping me write the book. We found a bunch of different people. Finally found a uh, writer, Jesse Stretch, online. Uh, he was home. His dad had a heart attack. And uh, he was looking for work. He was going to some, uh, he was studying to be a playwright in, in uh, Arizona somewhere, I think it was. So he was home for Christmas. So he was on uh, one of the social medias. So I found him, called him in. He wrote some sample writings. And we said, you're the guy. So we cut a deal and he started writing Desperate Highway. But the book was about this big. It was like Encyclopedia <laughs> Britannica. Jeff did this and Jeff did that. And it was awful. It was just a lot of every, just everything I dictated to him. He just started writing it all down. So uh, everybody started taking it apart. I said, here's what we're going to do. Put you in a recording studio downtown Richmond, and you're just going to read it like it's a story. Record it. And he did, and cut about half of it away. So now we got it down to about this big. So then we gave it to an editor, Cheryl Cooper. She edited the book all the way down to what it is now and made it an exciting, action-packed drama adventure. So it's not – I'm not proud of it, but she said it needs to be authentic, and and it's written for inmates, guys in jail and prison, that don't want to read the Bible. I wouldn't touch a Bible with a 10-foot pole. I didn't want the one that I had gotten, mm-hmm. but I was compelled to read it because nobody was looking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. Nobody yeah. wants to be seen yeah. walking with a Bible. Yeah, there. no. That's changed, though, because all the guys in prison now, I get this Bible right here. The, yeah, Quest Study Bible. And this is their Lamborghini. Yeah. <laughs> and, they, and they treat it as such. Yeah. You but, know, I've done a lot of prison ministry over the years, and I tell you, uh, if you find people that are authentic, in prison that really are seeking Jesus. They're his. They, they are like lighthouses in there. Oh, huge. And, and and I mean, I can remember, uh, Jeff, I had talked to, um, there was a guy named Oz, 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 Osvaldo, uh, who was on death row. And I shared with him and he was so encouraged. He was on death row awaiting execution. He listened to John MacArthur's radio ministry every day. Wow. And he just said, he told me, hey, and I and I wrote them after this. He said, you know, if you get a chance, let them know uh, that uh, I'm really been appreciative of their ministry to teach the word and get it to us in prison. And, and so I, you know, I don't discount those kind of guys that are in there. So many people... You know, if they're on death row, they write them off. There's some believers who made bad choices, and some of them come to faith in prison, and they need to be discipled just like everybody else. People just like you and me. And so I thank God for people like you and others that go in there, Chuck Colson and that whole ministry, prison fellowship that go in there and do the things you did. But, you know, you made a statement on your website that I thought was interesting. You said that even though you're out in the world, you see a need for peace no less desperate than what you felt behind prison walls. Mm-hmm. And speak to that a little bit for the people that are out there. Because, uh, you know, God miraculously delivered you from the cancer. It's still in you, but it's now you're it's alive. Lim- now it's lymphoma. It's, yes, it's lymphoma, but you're, you're alive. Yep. And, and you're alive 14 years later. When very few people that had my, that disease, I can't say it, Milo, say it, you know what it is, uh, that that cancer walked away from it like you have. And so God has extended your time, but you feel desperate for a need for his peace every day, even now, even though you've been given his peace through his son, you recognize your need, almost like Paul, as he got later in life, he realizes 
the longer he's around, the more he needs it, right? Yes, absolutely. You but know, I, just, I feel so blessed just to have this opportunity to have this life, to have the life that I have, and also to be able to minister to those that are seeking. And so many are, they don't know the, it's like I did, I want to know the truth. I don't want to know anything else but the truth. And that's what I got. And that's what they need to get. I mean, and these people, I, I walk in there and I see them. I started out with just a handful of people. Started with a prison fellowship event I went to almost two years ago. So I've been in there two years now. So I've got almost 50 guys that come regularly. And look at the numbers, how they grew. Now it's like pages full of people come. And I get and, them to and sign you're, this And book. you're taking them through training, right? Absolutely, now. constantly. So it's, how can people support you or encourage you in what you're doing there now? Pray for me. That's all. Just pray for me. I don't need anything but prayer. Pray for Jeff and his team do you have a team of people or is it just you just me just so jeff goes in every is it every week jeff every week and every wednesday every wednesday where you go go to lottie correctional institute out near stark okay so every wednesday he's there but pray for him he's got this new book coming out uh what's the new book called Warrior, warrior angels warrior angels coming out the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world by the way that's our theme verse at SWAT. Is that Radio. something? Second Corinthians ten four. The weapons of our warfare are not of this world. You know, when we started SWAT uh, ten years ago, eleven years ago, um, that verse was our theme verse because when you talk about spiritual warfare, we cannot fight it with guns and knives. No. We have to fight it with prayer. And we fight it with his word. That's it. And that's what you're doing, right? You're Gotta taking stay his word. In. Well, listen, hey, one more time. Jeff's ministry is highwaytoeternity.com. You can go there. You can contact Jeff. You can get him to come speak at your church or your next event. Um, and he also has a book called um, Desperate Highway. This is life story. Uh, go to his website. You can get that. You can also email me at Doug at SWATradio.com. He's got an evangelism follow me hotline you can go to on the website. Feel free to call that. Jeff, thanks for being with us today. Hope you have a good weekend. We'll be praying for you and your ministry, Thank you so much, Doug. I really enjoyed it. All right. And thanks for being a sponsor for SWAT Radio. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Hey, you can listen to this or any other past program by going to www.swatradio.com. That's www.swatradio.com. David Gray will be here tomorrow. See you Monday. If you missed a SWAT radio broadcast this week and would like to hear any show in its entirety, then go to SWATradio.com. Click on Past Shows, where you can listen to the broadcast. Also, if you're looking for a band of brothers that gather around God's Word to be a part of, then go to SWATradio.com and email one of our hosts, and they can get you plugged in to one of the local SWAT Bible studies. Tune in next time to explore how SWAT radio is strengthening